0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Memphis Hardwood. We are revisiting the Grizzlies oral history project that we started in earnest last summer. And where last we left off, we were talking about the Grizzlies towering ascent to the Western Conference finals, where they were unceremoniously swept by the San Antonio Spurs. We have not yet reached those peaks again as a franchise, although in this current iteration of the Grizzlies, we hope to go there and farther. This time, we're talking about the 2013-2014 Grizzlies. So we've still got the core four in place. And before we get to anything, I've got to introduce not only my companion, Marvin Stockwell, but a very special guest. You know him. You love him. He of Fast Break Breakfast, Keith Parrish. Keith, how you doing, man?
1: Doing very, very well. Thanks for having me. Can I object already and say it wasn't unceremoniously swept? I felt like we were ceremoniously swept. Games two and three went to overtime. It was kind of close. Game yeah. four was close. Yeah. Like we were yeah. punching maybe above our weight class. For we sure. didn't, we got lucky, frankly. For didn't sure. have to face <laughs> Russell Westbrook that year. That's true. Uh, yeah. we, we beat a Westbrook-less Thunder team. But then against the Spurs, yeah, we were swept. But hey, two overtime games, that's pretty good.
0: Not bad. Okay. I just remember watching those games and thinking, And actually, that's a really good place to start, Keith, because we have a lot of overtime games in the 13-14 playoffs as well. We'll Hmm. get into all of that. But I feel like that's just a defining theme of this grit and grind era where the Grizzlies are just, they're pushing the rock uphill. And it's like 77, like 72, right? And the Grizzlies just can't get over the hump, right? And I just would have felt a lot better if they could have won one game. (laughs) So. Well, we are um, we're gonna we're gonna dive into this thirteen fourteen season, um, which I think you know, looking back, was actually a pretty exciting season. Just a couple of notes yeah. of context. First of all, it's Dave Yeager's first season. You know him, you love him. Um, just to give everybody a little bit of background to remind uh, our listeners what happened. Robert Pera bought the Grizzlies in October of two thousand and twelve. Um, he had one more season of Lionel Hollins, and then Lionel Hollins kind of makes that famous remark in June of 2013, where he says, you can't have champagne taste on a beer budget. <laughs> and of course, he was referring to dispatching Rudy Gay to Toronto, right, um, in exchange for the change, you know, the change between your couch
2: cushion. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but you know, he, the Grizzlies would have gone into the luxury tax. So Lionel then, um, is asked to take seat Dave Yeager. Um, really his defensive assistant is promoted, um, to the big chair. Um, and let's, I mean, guys, what were you thinking? Like, if you can kind of put yourself back in your shoes, Lionel's going out, still the winningest coach in Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. Here comes Dave Yeager. Um, Keith Marv, what were your thoughts at that time? Right. When you saw Dave take the big chair,
2: you want to go first, Marv? Sure. Sure. Um, you know, I thought first of all, I kind of felt bad for Lionel because I, I just have a real loyalist streak in me, and it's like, you know, I, I pin my kind of emotions to the team as it is, and then any change, you know, even losing Danny Green, I'm like, oh man, losing Danny Green, you know, like, but obviously, that stuff has to change, right? But um, so I, meant, I I think in hindsight, w- w- what I can see more clearly now is. Rudy just didn't fit the the plan for the team at the time. And so while Lionel's comment is maybe, I mean, it just was a clear sign that he was not going to kind of get on board with what Para wanted to do, or he just wouldn't be compliant. So I think he was probably dismissed because, because of a sense that he just wouldn't be compliant and the new owner wanted a compliant coach. Uh, and uh, so, yes, I can see how Lionel would say, Yes, Rudy Gay is improving, and you know he and he, he became a much better player, right? Um, But you know, finding his shot selection. But I, yeah, I, my thoughts are just like I felt sorry for Lionel because I thought he'd he'd made something out of nothing, Uh and then I was it, I was just surprised that he was dismissed. But in hindsight, I realize it's probably that comment that 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 made Paris say, "Yeah, that's not the guy to move forward with." I,
1: I think we highlight that comment, but I think it was way more simple. I think it was just the Grizzlies weren't going to pay a premium salary to a coach like Lionel Hollins had had unbelievable success with the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, however they got there, had just made it to the Western Conference Finals and Lionel's contract being up, it was, all right, now you have to pay the actual rate of what a playoff coach receives. And the Grizzlies, um, I believe to this day, have never paid like NBA premiums for a coach like Taylor Jenkins has been awesome in this current era. I believe he's received an extension, but like he's not making what Monty Williams is making uh, on the Pistons. He's he was one of the lowest paid coaches mm. when he got hired. And so this goes back to early in, in I think it's fair to say that Lionel Hollins, it, like if Lionel Hollins was going to make what Dave Yeager was going to make, like they probably would have kept him. I think they could have gotten over that comment over Rudy Gay. Also the Rudy Gay trade, I don't want to well actually um Anthony again like Please. the uh I feel it was key getting Tayshon Prince and Ed Davis in for Rudy Gay, not having a ball stopper, having someone who totally. could just fit in like Tayshon play defense and so the ball could run through Zebo through Mark through Mike. Like this 2013 year the year before probably the um that's when like arguably Mark Gasol became the best player ahead of Zach Randolph, where Zach Randolph had been the best player, you know, on like the 2011, 2010 teams. And okay. so every shot that I think Mark shot, that Zebo shot, that Mike shot, maybe not Mike, but it was it was a better option than Rudy Gay isoing. And I do think it was a good trade. Like I remember specifically a lot about this era as far as like exactly where I was. Um, I remember exactly where I was when I found out that like the Rudy Gay He's- trade had gone down. And I was yeah. like, I was... I love Tayshawn Prince from the Pistons days. Like I like his like his first playoff, his rookie year. I was like, I love how Taysha Prince plays, whatever. And then obviously the Pistons have been great with Tayshawn. I was super excited what Tayshawn could bring. And also I was excited about Ed Davis. Now the like their usage of Ed Davis could be its own podcast. Like he never really found um a lot of playing time. He was a useful bench big. Um, he did not find much playing time in this series we're going to talk about today against the Thunder in 2014. But like the Rudy Gay trade, I think, was important for how, how the success the Grizzlies had. And then going back to Lionel Hollins versus Dave Yeager. As an outsider perspective, no inside knowledge, it seemed like that was just a typical kind of cost-cutting move that a lot of NBA franchises would make, especially a small market one like the Grizzlies.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and right. We want to remember Tayshaun Prince, you know, uh, wins a wins a ring with uh, with the Pistons. Right. And so mm-hmm. I remember not knowing much about him when it happened. And then, of course, Ed Davis, um, you know, being a really decent player for the Grizzlies. I remember I was in the airport, the Memphis airport at the time I was traveling to go somewhere when I sort of, you know, learned about all this. And I remember being so incensed in part because I felt like (laughs) we hadn't really given Rudy Gay the opportunity to thrive because he had been injured the year before, right, in in the playoffs. And so it was hard for me to digest, right, even though I felt probably the way I ended up feeling about Dylan Brooks, about Rudy Gay at that time, right? Remember, he took a lot of mid-range jumpers. There wasn't a shot it seemed like he didn't like. He wanted to be that guy. Even with all of that knowledge, I still felt frustrated. And it was moving on from Rudy, moving on from Lionel Hollins, being like, gosh, we just had this big run to the Western Conference Finals. Is this a good move? And Keith, I think mm. you're probably right. I mean, even if we do read it as a cost-cutting measure, as a fan, that's not what you want to see, right? Like you, wanna, <laughs> right, you want to Like push the chips in, right? Especially off of your greatest success as a franchise. Um, but Tayshon Prince, right, ended up being great for us. Um, and I think, I mean, maybe one of the best wings we've had in the modern era. Um, and Tayshawn Prince could pretty reliably, you know, hit a three point shot. Even if it seemed like it took him forever <laughs> to shoot the ball, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, great defender. Um, and, and that gets us really into this roster for, um, this 2013, 2014 season. And we got to call some, call some guys out. We got Nick Kalathis. <laughs> he, who only plays two seasons uh, in the NBA, both with Memphis, um, Jared Bayless, who I remember, I remember being kind of amped about Jared Bayless, right? He he would he did this thing where he'd come off screens, right, kind of like near the free throw line, and he would take these mid range jumpers, um, and then a fa- and then two fan favorites, y'all, Benno Udra and James Johnson, <laughs> right? Like yeah. like I mean, you know, James Johnson, of course, we'd go on to have the net tattoo night, right, <laughs> for James Johnson,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then Beno Udra, right supreme commander of the mid-range leaner like that was his (laughs) that was his (laughs) shot right yeah Uh, and then of course you mentioned ed davis uh keith but we had costa kufos on this squad
2: too freaking kufos yeah yeah yeah, man
1: so so going back to the roster building uh, of this specific roster of the the 2013-2014 season so like i've like there's a couple of moves this year that like or maybe let's go uh, there's three so i like when you ask basically Setting this whole podcast up, like you asked me, like what years I wanted to cover. And I'm like, I specifically wanted this year because I had so many strong memories, so many strong opinions about this team. It was one of the first times I remember as a basketball fan, like forming these, like maybe what's become like my trademark as a basketball podcaster, where I'm like, hey, check out what the Grizzlies do when Ed Davis and Nick Kalathis were on the court. And I'm like, I, I was the first time I was ever pulling stats out. I'm like, yeah. we crush people, uh, whatever Ed Davis. Uh, so like, that was the start there, but going back to the previous off season. So coming off the Western Conference finals run, um, that off season, they traded Darrell Arthur for Costa Kufus. And like, I feel like Daryl Arthur was really beloved among Grizzlies fans for that, that initial, the eight seed upset over the one seed Spurs, but like he'd been injured. And since coming back from his injury, like I had kind of fallen out of favor. I'm like, I, I don't feel like he's a serious option as a backup. He doesn't defend. He's like, he, he's a step slow now. He can't rebound. So like one roster move that I love. I'm like, I, I like the idea of getting Costa Kupas in here. Um, Costa was better than I, even, I assumed he was. Like Costa became like a very solid Backup center, very consistent, very, very good. Um, then mid-season, you talk about Jared Bayless. That was another player who, uh, for whatever reason, I found him frustrating. I'm like, uh, to use like a a modern-day parlance that we didn't use back then, it's like that's not a serious option. Like, like, like he's, you know, like, like that's not a serious option for a team that wants to win a title. So when we traded in the season, when the Grizzlies traded Jared Bayless for Courtney Lee, then I was like, oh yeah. And this is like, I remember that because, um, I lived in Nashville, but I bought Grizzlies like season tickets for the remainder of the year. Basically the like the day after the Jared Bayless for Courtney Lee trade. And when I called the ticket rep who'd been like emailing with me or calling me, I was like, this is a very stupid thing, but I was like, Hey, I would love it if you could just like write in my notes, uh, customer purchase season tickets, because of the Courtney Lee trade, and the, <laughs> and and the ticket rep was like, "Oh yeah, absolutely! Like, oh yeah, I'll I'll be sure to run that up the poll, man. Uh, like, I'm sure they really care." Uh, right. But I remember being so excited. I'm like, "Like, this is legit! Like, I, I feel like these are more serious options." And then I guess the other Rosh building part I even mentioned, or like you know, like you mentioned James Johnson, yeah. like they signed James Johnson out of the D League.
2: Yeah, like that guy was just
1: a free agent.
2: Yeah,
1: and like I think it might have been because of like off the court stuff that like he hadn't Mm -hmm. been on an NBA roster, but like, yeah, then. So then when they got James Johnson, I think it was in December, like that January. And then the rest of the regular season, like they got off to a slow start. Um, Like once they acquired Courtney Lee and then with James Johnson, like it was just like, this team is deep and awesome. And so like, I was very thrilled about this, about the squad.
0: Well, to your point about Courtney Lee, I I still feel that he was the best two guard that we had up until Desmond Bain. I mean, Mm. Courtney Lee could shoot as long,
1: I'm sorry. as long as we're not saying is Tony, what's Tony is Tony I'm, Allen a two or a three what I'm do we got
0: three I mean okay, you know okay I, you know a wing I'll allow it I'll
1: place him as a more important <laughs> player than OJ Mayo I'm fine with it
0: yes for sure OJ okay. Mayo no. will never be forgiven for his performance in the Clippers series but um <laughs> previous season but I mean Courtney Lee was to to me he was the first guy that I saw play to your point about Jared Bayless who could hit a shot <laughs> Jared like you said he yeah. was and Courtney Lee could shoot the ball. He had an excellent demeanor. He could be counted on. I just felt like he was an extremely solid um extremely solid player. So like you going into the season, right? Um and then as the tr- trades sh- shook out throughout the season, I felt like this was a great squad. And add Mike Miller into the mix. Mm, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he figured prominently as a guy coming off the bench in the playoff series um that the Grizzlies would enter into with the Thunder this season. And then also just don't want to be sure to not forget our guy coupon Quincy Pondexter, mm. you know, who could heat up. I, I felt he was a frustrating player at times too. Um, and he got frustrated with Dave Yeager, right? <laughs> Quite a bit Yes, in terms yeah. of his ability to actually be on the court. Um, but I mean, a really good lineup. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I was excited about Costa Kufos. By the way, if you follow him on Instagram, he's still out here trying to do his thing. Like he's he's like promoting himself, like he sh- he'll sh- he'll show himself shooting shots, like he's trying to be a guy. He's not that old. No. I mean, like I
1: want to say I'm gonna look that up. I feel like he's a, he's not like he's not like Stephen Adams, surprising young. Hey, yeah, he's 34.
0: Yeah, 34. Like, <laughs> he's he's not super old or anything. And by the way, before we move on from the roster, James Johnson is still in the league. I mean. Yeah. I mean, he was he, you know, the Grizzlies obviously like picked him up, but like he was playing for the Pacers this past year, you know, doing a little bit. Um, he played for the Nets, played 62 games, 20 minutes per game in 21 So um, neck tattoo man is is still out here. But I remember when he came for the Grizzlies, like there was so much made about his mixed martial arts background. Yeah have a basketball, you know, pedigree at all. So we're like, Oh, he can kick people in the face. Um,
1: <laughs> well, the James Johnson thing was wild. Cause I don't know if you remember, this was an actual moment where they signed him. And I remember, I remember being in a band practice where I'm like on synthesizers and it was kind of like a metal ish band. Um, but like I had my computer open cause the grosses were on like ESPN this night. And it was just like, it was one of those huge James Johnson nights where like he was blocking everybody's three pointers. Um, just was all over the court. He was this, this dynamic athlete. Like you said, with the kickboxing thing. And like, I remember thinking like, we finally found like the missing piece. Like we know we got Mike and we got Mark and we got Zebo. and then there's Tony Allen. There's Courtney Lee, but we need that three. Like Tayshon, he's good. He fills in, but like Tayshon's not it. Like, we got to have something a little bit more. And yeah. James Johnson just burst onto this scene, and it was like, how is this guy in the D-League? This guy is incredible. Like, yeah. he could dribble. He could drive past bigger players. He could guard anyone, it, it seemed like. He was getting tons of blocks, tons of steals. And, like, when he was on the court, it seemed like all of a sudden the Grizzlies, it's like everything clicked. But, like, Jaeger would still not play him that much. And you had the home fans screaming for James Johnson like like a lot of the time and like Jaeger we just ignore it like I, I'm, a lot of these are anecdotes I remember like Chris Vernon telling where it's just like there's a guy behind the bench being like put in James like get Tayshawn out of there get Tayshawn out of there and like it's funny uh, again setting up to like the postseason, the series like he fell out of favor and I'd always heard like he didn't play in that series basically and I'd always heard there were like rumblings of like this is this is pure rumor that like he's just not a good guy and like they For whatever reason, they fell out of favor. They didn't want to play him. He was actually arrested uh, for domestic violence in the months after uh, in June of 2014. So and again, the Grizzlies didn't want to bring him back. But like the on-court product was so tantalizing and so Mm -hmm. like it was like, oh, my goodness, we finally have a we finally have a small forward who can like fit in perfectly. I mean, in modern day, he'd be like a four totally. But like at that moment, it seemed like this is the missing Peace. this guy is better than Tayshon prince is right now he's even better like mike miller he was at the end of his basically nba effectiveness um but like the james johnson thing was so wild and everyone remembers it like all Grizzlies fans if you're a grizzly fan back then was like yeah man those james johnson games the, the whatever the the four months we had james johnson the guy was it was just this magical spark plug yeah and a lot of fun to watch
0: yeah for sure Yeah. I mean, he was, he was consistently logging, you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes a game um, starting in December, right. When, when we brought him in, didn't have too many DNPs. um, And then when you get to the playoffs, you know, he basically doesn't play four games. So, and, and honestly, it really speaks to the Grizzlies continuing search, I would say, to find that dynamic wing, right? I mean, that is still a through line to the Grizzlies today. And as you say, James Johnson seemed to like, he would be part of the solution. And when this season gets on their way, Keith, the Grizzlies, as you mentioned, got off to a rough start. They, they come out to a 10 and 15 start in their first 25 games. Um, Marcus Saul gets hurt um, in game 14, um, and he ends up missing 20 plus games. And it really just didn't seem like the Grizzlies were congealing, right? And of course, they made some of these moves to shake up the lineup starting in December, as we were talking about, bringing in James Johnson and others. And they really start to turn it around just before Christmas. The Grizzlies would go 39 and 17 the rest of the way. Um, And it's all really all started with a win over the Knicks on December 21st, which I actually remember. Um, The Grizzlies on the year, third best defense. So, you know, you know, a classic staple of that grit and grind era. I remember being at some of those games and thinking there is no room in the paint. Everybody was just so packed in back in the day. And we'll talk about this as we get into the style of play that the Grizzlies maintain and really that the rest of the league maintain. This is before Stephen Curry essentially single handedly shifts the way professional basketball players play the game. Right. But it's 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 sort of starting to take place. Grizzlies offense, I in my notes, I put LOL next to it, 27th best offense, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, like Grizzlies are really good on the defensive end, can't get it going on the offensive end. They have a plus 1.7 net rating. It's like just a classic grit and grind team. Um, at the end of the season, they end up with a seven seed in the playoffs and they take on the number two seeded Thunder who have a roster with Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, a rookie named Steven Adams, Nick Collison, Karan Butler, Serge Baca, Kendrick Perkins, this guy named Hashim Thabit, <laughs> Tabo Sapagosha, <laughs> Reggie Williams, and Jeremy Lamb. I mean, I just find that hilarious to just even say
2: those names out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Did the beat play much? I don't have any recollection of that. I don't
1: think the beat played a second.
2: No, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was just like a psychological warfare. I think
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's <laughs> a
1: just cycle. being like, Hey, we have, we have, th- we have, we're going to beat you with the beat. How's that
0: so, going into this playoff series, right? I mean, the Grizzlies obviously shook up the roster. You end up with a pretty decent roster. Um, I can't forget about Johnny lure, the Wisconsin badger, <laughs> you know, so highly regarded he's on the team too. Um, and I think he's still in the league. I'd have to look it up, but he's on, this He is roster. not still
1: in the league, but yeah. Okay. Good run for good run for as I like to call him John the Badger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. John the Badger. So so the Grizzlies are, you know, they've got a pretty decent roster heading into this um, into this series with Oklahoma City. Of course, OKC has got a home court advantage. So the Grizzlies are gonna have to travel to Oklahoma City to get started with the first two games. Um, of the series. Now, I want to just pause before we get into this. How are you all feeling? And Keith, we'll start with you. As you look at this, number seven versus number two, right? How are you feeling about this series? If you could put yourself back in your shoes in 2014?
1: So in my memory, I was very confident. I considered it a, I considered it very unlucky to play the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were obviously one of the best teams in the NBA, the two seed behind the eventual champion, San Antonio Spurs, who many argue that was one of the best champions ever that destroyed the Miami heat in five games. Like that was, uh, probably some of the best basketball we've ever seen period was that Spurs finals. But like, I I consider it to be very unfortunate that the Grizzlies, I thought that were as good as they were the previous year, if not better because of all the roster additions, they made the things I talked about the going up, getting Costa Kufus, just depth stuff, getting, um, uh, upgrading your backup point guard. Like we had suffered through Keon dueling, you know, <laughs> like it, 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 wow. every season in the playoffs that have been like, we don't have a guy who could play like, Oh, it's a Gilbert arena. No, no, no. We can't do it. Like like every year it was a new guy. Who's going to be our backup point guard. And like Nick collect, as a rookie was pretty good. Of course he gets suspended for the playoffs. Um, and so that's how you, you said fan favorite Banaudra. Udra. He was not a fan favorite basically until this, this is kind of his first, like thing that he did was in the postseason so like i thought the bench was better i thought uh getting james johnson made the team better i thought they really congealed having mike miller as like your 10th or 11th man like you mentioned john lure he didn't he didn't play usually it was it was shocking that he ends up playing in this game seven that we're going to get to but i remember being super excited for the grizzlies and also because of that courtney lee trade you mentioned all those net ratings and offensive ratings i looked this up so once they made the courtney lee trade on january 5th they finished the year, so they moved Tony out to the bench because they knew shooting was an issue. That maybe that was controversial. I don't remember being outraged by that, which honestly, like I, Tony Allen was my favorite player on the team, so maybe I, even I understood like, hey, we gotta, we, we got we gotta score a little bit more. Um, but once they made that trade, they were twenty seven and eight, so like they were awesome. And if you and if you look at like, I, I went to cleaning the glass because like you, you can look at the older stats now like from that point forward, January 5th to the end of the season, they had the sixth best net rating in the NBA. They were still outperforming that point differential, which was like a, maybe a trademark of grit and grind. Um, But like they they became an average offense and it was like, they they were no longer 27th in offense. They were, they were like 15th once they got Courtney Lee. And then with that top three defense, they became very, very good. So because of all that, I was like, man, it stinks. We have to play the thunder, but I think we're a legit finalist um, level team. Like I had that much confidence going into this playoff series. So, um, I remember being extremely optimistic and just being like, it kind of stinks. We have to play Kevin Durant because he's amazing
0: for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I I totally concur. I mean, I, I usually am confident even probably when I shouldn't be, but, uh, uh, so my Grizzlies fan flag was, was at full mass, you know, wind billowing, uh, and I was excited about, it because we'd made these improvements, I too was really encouraged. Uh, but yeah, you know, like, uh, knowing how good the the competition was, I still thought we were up to beating them. So yeah, I absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Keith.
0: Yeah. Unfortunate is the right word, because I mean, Kevin Durant was really starting to approach the peak of his powers. I mean, I think he begins to become a player that people start to associate with being a top five talent in the game. Um, and you can kind of see it happening before your eyes um, in this playoff series. Also a shame, right? The Grizzlies got off to such a bad start. They're having to start on the road um, as a seven seed against OKC. Um, and, you know, from that very from the tip of that very first game, OKC just looked ready. I mean, they jumped out to a twenty nine sixteen lead after one quarter. Um, they The Grizzlies get within five a couple of times in the third and fourth quarter, but it was just that classic grit and grind game, but they just, they just can't get over the hump. They can't score enough. Um, And again, the defense, right. Uh, Pretty decent, but um, it's just, it's just difficult. And I mean, to put it in perspective, the Grizzlies attempt 11 three point shots in that first game and they make two. (laughs) I mean, you can't, you can't even imagine that happening. I mean, even the thunder, they shoot 16 threes and they make four. It was just a totally different world. It really Mm. was. Yeah. I
1: remember, I remember rewatching not this year. I remember rewatching some games from the Grizzlies' first grit and grind era playoff run. the 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 win, the upset win over the Spurs, and it seemed like the Grizzlies' defense they were they were good. They were a good NBA defense, but their strategy was basically let's leave the corner threes open. No one hits corner threes, and now that's like the most valuable shot in the game. Like you would do whatever you can to not leave open corner threes. But like you're saying, yeah, uh, 15 years ago or so, it was just leave everyone, uh, open, pack it in like, Oh, they're not going to, what, what are they going to hit three pointers? Yeah. Like, like it was, a <laughs> like you were daring the other team to shoot and also furthering that, uh, the Grizzlies this year were last in the NBA in three point attempts and three point makes. So like making two, not that far outside of their, uh, their normal game performance. Yeah
0: which is funny because in this same era, I remember always looking forward and like the year before to playing the golden state warriors. Cause I was like, Oh my God, that's just an automatic W. <laughs> you know, i so I'm like, Oh, this is going to be great. The Grizzlies are going to get the win. Um, and it didn't take long for things to change pretty dramatically. So the Grizzlies ended up losing that first game in OKC, um 100 uh, to 86. So the Grizzlies don't even get to 90 points. And I mean, that was, Again, a hallmark of that uh, of that grit and grind era. But for game two, the shoe is kind of on the other foot. The Grizzlies jump out to an early lead, and they pretty much hold it uh, throughout the game. OKC pulls in front briefly in the third quarter, 60-59, to 59, but the Grizzlies uh, snatch it right back. And this is when you start to see KD and Westbrook at the peak of their powers. We forget when those two guys were really clicking and they were playing with the thunder, they had, an, they had an extremely good chemistry, right? Because KD could make a shot pretty much anywhere on the floor and Russ would go to the rim like his life depended on it. So it just opened up space for KD to be able to operate. They had a really good kind of one-two uh, dynamic. And in the fourth quarter of that game too, um, they really started to put some pressure on the Grizzlies. But Our good friend, Mike Miller, sinks a three-point shot on an assist from Mike Conley with 54 seconds left in the fourth quarter, and it seems like the Grizzlies are going to pull it away, fellas. I mean, we're like, okay, Mike Miller, here's our guy. He's hitting threes, which, I mean, I felt such jubilation when the Grizzlies hit a three in that era, right? Because you only get like four of them a game, right? Except Kendrick Perkins gets an offensive putback. Literally, I was looking this up, with no time left on the clock. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he ties the game at the end of regulation. And here we are in game two, going to our first overtime, right? And this is something you got to get used to because this happens a lot in those overtime games. Keith, do you remember that moment where uh, Perk gets that put back?
1: It honestly, most of this game has been erased from my brain because I was like, I was like looking at clips, but I do. I like I remember all of I remember that shot. Like that's the one thing I remember. I remember just the whatever the deflation. Uh, uh, of the ball going in. And I don't, I don't know if it's just m- my fandom or all fandom. I do have a bit or all fandoms. Like I, I do have a bit of like the, um, woe is me or like this can go poorly at any moment type thing. And so like, once he makes the shot, I'm like, Oh man, we're going to blow this, which is going to be a feeling I, I remember, uh, or, or I That will occur many more times in this series. But, um, yeah, I know I, I basically that shot going in is the only, clear memory I have of this game
0: yeah it was totally deflating and there were in subsequent series where the Grizzlies would play the Thunder in later years there were multiple four-point plays where they fouled Kevin Durant <laughs> on three-point shots that he made and I think I was in Nashville maybe we were watching these games together but it's just the Thunder had this way of doing that to you because they have generational shot makers in guys like Kevin Durant um, and just guys with motors and skill sets like Westbrook. But in this case, it was Kendrick Perkins. And we'll talk more about Kendrick Perkins because he has a little bit of history with the Grizzlies. But yeah, he does. We get some extra basketball um, in this playoff series. It will not be the last time going into the extra period. Zebo and Lee are doing their thing, but here comes this guy named Kevin Durant. He literally scores all the points for the Thunder in overtime. And with 35 seconds left, we are tied again at 105. And this was when I started to feel like this Grizzlies team is going to take years off my life. Like this is what (laughs) this is is going to turn into for me. But Zebo, of course, comes through in the clutch, gets the go ahead bucket with 26 seconds left. Courtney Lee gets to the line. Zebo's seals the deal at the free throw line and the Grizzlies squeak out a win. The final score was 111, one Oh five, but it really doesn't suggest how close that game was. Yeah. Um, and frankly, in general, how close this series was and Keith, mm-hmm. to your point, right. And we'll see this kind of play out over and over again. The Grizzlies were pretty well matched with the thunder. Um, And, and I don't, you know, I don't want to give anything away because we're going to unfold this series game by game, but in these first six games, especially I mean, this is a this is a game of inches. I mean, it's absolutely super chippy, right? And going back into FedEx Forum, you're feeling pretty good. Series tied 1-1. You've reclaimed home court advantage.
1: Well, I think anytime you steal one on the road in any playoff series, you're feeling good. But I think specifically, speaking back to my optimism coming into this, like, yeah, we matched up well because I thought we could match up with anybody. Like, we had the big guys. Yeah, like, no one can really – maybe no one can guard Russ and KD – but like, it seemed like, like we're a solid, we know we're a good defensive team and now we have enough options where we can claw out these games. I remember also specifically believing back in the time, like, Hey, we're built for the playoffs. Like we're not even built for the regular season. Um, Even though it's funny, like with a seven seed uh, this year, the Grizzlies won 50 games, which is one fewer than they won last year when they were the two seed. So like, Interesting, you know, yeah, teams, yeah. Won, the good teams won a lot more games back then, but um. No, I, I remember like like once we we endure this victory, you you get the split and you're like, all right, like, like game on. Like, like because again, I had yeah. a lot of confidence up and down this roster.
0: Yeah. And then we come back to Memphis. And so you're like, okay, the grindhouse is going to be rocking. We've established some playoff traditions by this point, right? So we've been going to the playoffs now 11 12. 13 is our fourth year in a row in the playoffs. And I just remember, right, you got Memphis in May, like the flowers are blooming, you're coming out of the cold, Grizzlies are playing in the playoffs. It was just a part of Memphis culture at that time. And so here we come, first playoff games 2014. And honestly, the Grizzlies jump out to a big lead 24-17 after the first quarter. And again, like you look at these quarter scores and you're like, teams are not making it to 20 points. I mean, how consistently did the Grizzlies not make it to 20 points in the first quarter in this era? You're like, I mean, that's impossible to fathom now because, you know, the John Morant Grizzlies will score 20 points in the first four minutes of the game. Right. But again, it was a different era Um, and the Grizzlies. They're really dominant for those first three quarters, 71, 61 after three. But in the fourth quarter, the Thunder come roaring back. Durant and Westbrook find their groove. They're doing their two man game. Durant has seven in the quarter. Westbrook has 18. And guess what? We're heading to overtime again, knotted at 85. The team score 85 points in regulation. It's It speaks to what an absolute slug fest yeah. these games were. I mean, it was like a heavyweight fight.
1: Yeah, this one was tough too, because with the Grizzlies blowing, they're up 10, you know, like, like going into the fourth quarter, only scratch out 14 points and it does feel like as much confidence as i have in this grizzlies team in the fact that we're built for the postseason anytime you're in a one possession game the other team has basically two guys who can get any shot they want at any time it's always kind of a terrifying
0: yeah for sure and people forget i mean russell westbrook was so maligned this past year um but at the peak of his powers he was as good as any player in the league without
2: him um The well, Crizzlies so could get stuck at this point, too. Like, they, uh, t- Keith, to your point, like, yeah. yes, we were built for the playoffs, but we could also, like, the, the machinery could break down. And all of a sudden, we're like, we, we seem like we're hapless, like, can't get it together. And it's just like, we kind of stalled out there. For sure. Yeah. For
1: sure. I'm also seeing Zebo in this game was five for 20 from the yeah. field, yeah. Uh, which is not obviously a Typical, peak performance yeah. from Zach in game three. This series, I mean, obviously, when you're scoring, when you head to overtime multiple times with both teams under 90 points, you're going to have some bad shooting numbers. I know this ends up uh, biting the Thunder players, best players. Um, But also going back to like, like when the Grizzlies pulled this out, like after game three, I I can't remember if it was after game three or four. I think it was after game three. Like Russell Westbrook, like took a lot of shots and he missed a lot of shots and it was absolutely the Grizzlies game plan to let Russell Westbrook shoot. Yeah. Like, they're like, listen, he, first of all, he can get a shot whenever he wants. But our defense is going to be to sell out to hopefully try to slow down Kevin Durant. But every time Russell Westbrook wants to shoot a 16 footer or an 18 footer, yeah. like we're, we're going to allow that. And I think Russell Westbrook was asked, like, hey, the Grizzlies are comfortable with letting you shoot. Right. And I don't remember the exact clip, but I do specifically remember a moment from the Chris Vernon show. Um, Because that's like back then, again, we're going like 2014. As someone living in, in in Nashville, my main exposure to Grizzlies media was finding Chris's radio show and because they, they would talk about the Grizzlies and I would find that and listen to it. Um, but like, there was a the whole thing where like uh, I remember Chris and Roser getting so excited about this quote. I don't remember the exact Russell Westbrook quote, but he's like, yeah, yeah, if I'm open, I'm going to shoot it every time. And Chris and Roser were just like, yes, 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 yes. And like that stuck in my head because that was like, that's our plan. We feel like we can win if as as every Westbrook shot is not a Durant shot, and that's gonna be our plan.
0: Yeah, he becomes the best player on our team. I mean, to your point, right, he took uh 26 shots to get to 30 points in game three. Yeah. yeah. Um, so definitely not advantageous for the Thunder. Um, the Grizzlies barely pull this game out, game three. They win 98, 95. Um, and you know, it you're just I felt relieved, but I also felt a sense of nervousness, right? I mean, you're up 2-1, you're at home, you're feeling pretty good as the seven seed fighting this uh, two seed, Um, but then game four at home in FedEx Forum is tight. I mean, this is the classic grit grind game, one blow after another, 18 to 15 after one quarter, right? Grizzlies are leading 18-15. I mean, this is like a heavyweight battle. got to remember, right? The, The Thunder have Kendrick Perkins, Tabo Cephalosha, really more of a stretch big at that time, but also Kendrick Perkins, Steven Adams. They are playing big. This is, I mean, there are big guys battling in the paint, right? In the second quarter, you start to see the other guys step up and take shots for the Thunder and it works. Karan Butler, Cephalosha, Reggie Jackson. These guys are doing damage. Nick Collison piles on for good measure. I remember thinking, good God, Nick Collison, who is this guy and why is he dominating us? And then the Grizzlies after two, they lose the lead. They're down. They've scored 35 points in the first two quarters. Yeah. 40 35. And it's Marvin, you, you pointed this out. The Grizzlies would hit these stretches where they just wouldn't score. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
0: you know, we score 35 points. We're 10 minutes in, right? The game. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable, right? And, in 24 minutes of basketball, the thunder stretch out the lead in that fourth game, 50, 39, 64, 52, I mean, it's just getting out of hand. The Grizzlies are losing hold of the rope, right? And I really felt like if the Grizzlies were down by seven points, Pete Pranica used to say, if the Grizzlies are down by seven going into the fourth, it usually doesn't turn out well. He had that stat where it was like, the Grizzlies are, you know, seven and 400, <laughs> right? If they're down by <laughs> seven going into the fourth. I was
1: like, not to pick on Pete, but most teams have a terrible record when they're down by seven in fourth quarters. But anyway, right.
0: I mean, so I mean, the I'm Grizzlies, sure-
1: particularly not good at coming back, was Pete's point.
0: Well, exactly. And in this, <laughs> and in this era, they just can't manufacture points. Right. Yeah. But then Benno Udra, he of the mid range leaner, as you point out, Nicolaitis is out right alongside Mike Conley, Tony Allen. The guards bring the Grizzlies back in the fourth and Tony Allen gives the Grizzlies a lead with a layup. I had to emphasize that. Right. Because we always give Tony hell for blowing layups. Right. But it's his <laughs> layup that gives the Grizzlies the lead yeah. back. And the Grizzlies are up three with three and a half to go up five with 80 seconds left. And then Reggie Jackson happens. He hits a three with 59 seconds left. Benno turns the ball over. Then Reggie hits a two score is tied. Mark misses a jumper. Tony gets the rebound Perkins blocks him. Thunder get the ball back. Reggie Jackson takes a three and misses. And here we are again. We're going to overtime. I mean, this is another overtime game. And I remember at that point thinking, I know our guys aren't like super old, but they are kind of big. Like, are they like just tired? They've got to be gassed playing all this extra, extra basketball in this kind of heavyweight fight. The team's trade blows in overtime. KD makes the first shot. Mike Miller counters with a three. Nothing like a Mike Miller three in overtime to get you super amped, right? Grizzlies lead by one, Reggie Jackson takes the next shot. OKC okay, by one, Zebo makes a shot, Grizz by one, just back and forth, back and forth it goes. Um, but then Reggie Jackson hits two shots after a Mike Miller foul and the Grizzlies end up losing by three in overtime. And I remember that really feeling like a gut punch. Four games, so much overtime. You felt good about the Grizzlies going into this, but then you got to go back to OKC, Keith. And I'm just thinking, I'm, yeah. I'm at this point.
1: So, so this obviously is known outside of Grizzly circles everywhere. This is the Reggie Jackson game. I mean, Reggie Jackson scores over thirty. Um, both Russ and KD have very poor offensive games. Ah, uh, this was the first game of this series that I went to, so I'm, I'm at this game. This is you know crucial Game Four, and so like the, the Game Three, you walked us, you know, you walked us through the whole thing. The Game Three, I felt confident. Because the Grizzlies basically had the lead most of Game Three. Like, all right, we, we got the split in OKC. We're coming back home. All right, we're ahead the whole game. Oh no, it, it it gets out of whatever. It slips away in the fourth quarter. They come back and tie it, but we still win. It felt it felt justified. Like, oh, we were supposed to win. Sure, it went to overtime, but like, I felt like we were in control. This Game Four, yeah, like we're struggling. The the whole thing. We're gonna keep saying the term rock fight. Like, no one can score, but then we get the lead. We're ahead at the end, and the whole time it's like. Who does this Reggie Jackson guy think he is? Like, he's just making everything. And also, like, I'm hyper aware, as I assume most fans are, like, this feels like the series. Like, if we take care of business at home, we're up 3-1 like we don't want to go 2-2 if, if like then they get home court advantage back we know we're the underdog like having to win 2 out of 3 you know in OKC or like with them having home court over the final 3 games like that's that's a big ask and the fact that we're ahead like well, we're up by 5 right in the final minute or something it's like and so you said gut punch and absolutely this was a crushing just a crushing defeat sure the series is 2-2 but like that was for me like we had the moment to not to be graphic, like step on their throats. It's like we had the moments to, to end it. Like like a 3-1 lead felt insurmountable to me. I mean, sure, the Thunder maybe could have won. They had the best player in the series in Kevin Durant, but like letting Reggie Jackson come in there and do that, losing to the Thunder on a night where KD and Russ missed 40 shots. It's like I I I remember just being stunned, speechless, knowing I had to drive back to Nashville, the long, quiet you know, that's a jaunt down. I 40, it'd be just, uh, yeah, this game was seared in my brain. Like I remember so many, I have so many sense memories of like big moments of like the streamers are coming down. We're doing the Metallica during the timeout and all the, you know, we're waving our growl towels and all the new towels, you know, they have all that, that yellow lint and all the lint is just flying up in the air and then settling down on the lower bowl. And like, I remember all that stuff and then just combined with the Reggie Jackson silencing everyone and, uh, and evening the series.
0: Right. I mean, as you point out, he went for 32 points, KD five of 21 Westbrook, six of 24. And yet the thunder still win. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, and you just feel like, well, what can we do? And who is freaking Reggie Jackson?
1: So, (laughs) right. Yeah. 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 This was like, it it was his coming out party. And honestly, that was like, that's, that's like peak of his career is this game. I mean, Reggie Jackson's had a fine long NBA career, but like, I don't think it ever got any better for him than this. I mean, it's called the Reggie Jackson game.
0: So, right. He won his team, won his team playoff game. I I don't know if this hurt that game, that game four, um, quite as bad as the game seven loss at home against the Clippers. Mm, Yeah. That was, that was a different,
1: that was a different feeling for me.
0: I was at that game. Yeah. I was sitting in the terrace and, all I remember at that point was how long it took to get out of the building because there were, so, it was completely so. There was 18,000 people. I'm probably at the yeah. top of the freaking roof, you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking, oh my God. And there's no more basketball. That's it. The season is over. So, yeah. I mean, one thing that's great about the NBA, right? There's always a new game in two days. Well, there wasn't another game. I mean, in this case, at least we, you know, the series was tied two to two. You know, we had a fighter's chance of at least continuing the series and maybe even becoming victorious. Um, but, but I do, there's, there's a, maybe cousins, the feeling right for that game seven Clippers and this game four against OKC.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That one was tough. Thanks for tuning in to part one of the 2013, 2014 Memphis Grizzlies oral history with fast break breakfasts. Perish. Stay tuned for part two.